However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> uh, well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Man, do we have a lot going on with PTSM. We have uh, now added another episode every week. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. I hope you've all had a tremendous week. Uh, Coming off a very special episode, uh, content I wasn't even aware we had. I didn't. As you know, maybe, maybe some of you don't, but I was a part of StarCast 2, And at that tremendous event in Las Vegas, I did a lot of hosting for many of the shows that appeared at that event on Fight TV. I also had the great fortune of hosting a great event there featuring one of my all-time favorite superstars, Brett the Hitman Hart. Now, the show was called Sharpshooter, Brett Hart in his own words. And uh, during our time together, we got to discuss a lot of topics and answered uh, a lot of questions that I had always wanted to ask Brett. It had been decades since we'd seen each other. And on top of it all, Conrad Thompson, who put StarCast together uh, and this show uh, that we did, also persuaded Tom McGee, remember him, to come to Vegas and be on stage with us to talk about the tryout match with Bret Hart that launched him into the WWF. So it was just an awesome afternoon. Well, those great folks at Fight TV, and uh, please, uh, they have so many great events out there. Uh, when you, when you want to see a, a, a great fight or, you know, they do a lot of MMA and also, uh, they do, you know, a lot of other events. You got to check them out. Mike Weber and, and that group. Well, uh, they allowed us to use the audio and we put that up last week and got a tremendous response to it. I, I'm really glad that so many people enjoyed it. If you didn't catch it, uh, be sure to check it out. Uh, big shout out to our Patreon members. Uh, we just keep adding new content all the time. And remember, uh, you can uh, join uh, for four ninety nine, and you can get every single episode early and ad-free, a new episode every week, plus all the other stuff that we put up there. And if you join to become a, a Mooney or a Legion of Who member, one of those tiers, there's many perks that come along with them. Uh, you, we have watch-alongs, and then, all, of course, uh, all of your questions get answered every week, and you get to hear the answers, just you guys. You come up with the questions for our guests, and I ask them, and, and you're the ones who get to hear them. Uh, we have AMAs, Ask Mooney Anything, and uh, LOW members, our Legion of Who members, uh, get their very own podcast with me and uh, after you've been with us a bit, and then your own personal watch-along with me. So it just goes on and on. You can check it out. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Also, uh, the big announcement this week, I mentioned as we started uh, this podcast, uh, you asked for it, you got it, more old school. And we have added uh, a new podcast every week. It's uh, started this past Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And we call them uh, the Network Classics PTSM. Network Classics PTSM. And uh, every week we're going to be featuring episodes from Saturday Night's Main Event, Primetime Wrestling, Tuesday Night Titans, Superstars, and, of course, Raw. And uh, what we do is uh, we, we play this. Uh, like the, We did the first episode of Saturday Night's Main Event this past week, uh, the number one uh, episode for that uh, great a series that ran for so many years. It was so much fun. And uh, I do commentary along with them. So I, I, I you know, talk about some of the stories behind the scenes and, uh, you know, some of the other things that I knew were going on. I talk about who, you know, the announcers. I mean, I just uh, just have a blast with it. And you can listen to it whenever you want. You just match it up. I tell you, here, press play, and off we go. 
So uh, check it out. Those uh, every Monday now we're going to be having uh, those those uh, network classics. We're calling them, and uh, the next one will drop again next Monday, six a.m. Eastern time. Okay. So before we get to another great episode right here on PTSM, I want to take time out to talk to uh, all of my listeners who are also business owners. And I know there are many of you out there, more people in the United States uh, uh, are, are venturing off into their own businesses and are very successful. And I also know, though, that hiring uh, for those great businesses can be a very slow process. Now, uh, here's a, a true story that uh, Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, he needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. Well, Uh, He was having a lot of trouble finding qualified applicants. So guess what he did? He switched to ZipRecruiter. Now, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and then invites them to apply for your job so that you get qualified candidates fast. How fast? Well, Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days, folks. In just a couple of days, he got his brand new director of coffee. So with results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. I'll say that again. Four out of five employers Post on ZipRecruiter, get a quality candidate within the first day. So what are you waiting for? See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes? Try ZipRecruiter for free. Just because you're a listener of PTSM at our web address, just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash P-R-I-M-E-T-I-M-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash primetime. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. Okay, another great episode this week. A uh, my guess is Richard's one of the godfathers. You see what of many of the wrestlers the are doing to today. Some He's of these unbelievable, uh, incredible high spots for performing in athleticism. And has amazing credit high spots to Sabu as one of the first to go to those career. heights. And He's also known as one Let's of the get to my conversation with Sabu right we'll now. Get into. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, known around the world as the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, death-defying maniac Sabu. Sabu, welcome to Primetime. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm pretty good. Hey, where did that nickname come from? Where the, the homicidal, suicidal, where did that all come from? Uh, Paul Hannon came up with that. that that's, uh, yeah, he, I don't like using it so much because it sounds like I'm bragging or something. I don't mind if, if someone else says it, but yeah. I, would, I don't say it myself. But, but yeah, Paul Hannon came up with that. Well, I tell you, um, you know, when you would look at your performances, though, they were just... Uh, so much different than anything else anybody was doing at the time to that extreme. And, you know, you, you, you think about that time, uh, Sabu, that they had, you know, there were brawlers out there. There was hardcore, but uh, nothing like what you would do with it. But what was the difference back then? And I know that the original Sheik was uh, one of the, you know, the forefathers of that. But what was the difference to you between, you know, these brawlers that would go out there and, uh, you know, work pretty stiff and and hardcore. Well, you know, but brawlers were guys who weren't technical wrestlers. They were guys who were kickers and punchers and stiff. Yeah. So I just made made the uh, the brawler athletic. You know, with uh, kicking and punching to another level. You know. Yeah, so, and, and, yeah everything I did kind of rough. You know, like my moonsaults are crooked and all that's kind of rough. So it looks a little more uh, good, but I think it looks better than than a smooth moonsault. You know. Yeah. Or smooth. But when you were growing up and seeing this, um, I don't know if you thought maybe, you know, you could do it better or you had other ideas on where you could take it from there. But it was. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but I'd say was was it, you know, to some people who really don't understand the art of it. I mean, there really is something to that. And did you recognize it back then when you were a young, a young kid? Uh, no, like uh, of course I want to be a wrestler, but yeah. and I was scared of my uncle, but and but I I was scared to be like him also. Uh-huh. You know when I was a kid. Yeah. Then when I when I started wrestling, he 
you can't be like me. So I, my first five years, I didn't even jump off the top rope and I didn't bite anybody. I, I didn't bleed. Uh, I didn't even go out of the ring. It was all in the ring stuff, boring stuff that first matches do. And then um, I used to have uh, these crazy moves in my mind, what I used to do in the backyard because we had a ring in the backyard. And when no, I thought nobody was watching. And then when we were in Japan, I go, Sheik, what should I do? Because I never did, the, did any moonsaults or that in a match. And he goes, uh, do what you do when you think I'm not watching. Mm-hmm. I go, what do you mean? He goes, when you're in the back, you think I'm not watching, I'm watching you. I'll do those things. I said, okay. And so I did, and it got over the first night, and I did a new thing every night. And then uh, everybody thought I was a flying magician. <laughs> okay, so and, and now that you, you mentioned your uncle, and uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't, re- don't know the history that uh, your uncle, the original Sheik Ed Farhat, uh, was your uncle, as you mentioned. And what was it uh, like for you as a kid growing up and, uh, you know, being around him? And, and how did that relationship develop where you eventually got into wrestling? Well, uh, it's in the book, but uh, I could tell you anyways, but I have a book that this came out too also. Yes. But um, uh, growing up, you know, I stared at him and just kind of wanted to be like him, right? Yeah. You know, I never talked to him. I was going to talk to him. He always talked, told me what to do, but I never say anything back. And then when I got uh, I got shot in the face when I was 19, but I wanted to be a wrestler my whole life. So when I, went to, when I was amateur wrestling in school, it wasn't even to be a better amateur wrestler. It was apparently me to be a pro wrestler when I turned 18. It wasn't yeah. even to, to be a better amateur wrestler, to be a, a pro wrestler. Yeah. It was just a warm-up for it. So when I turned, when I got 19, I got shot. So I figured uh, if I'm going to do this, I better do it before I get shot again or uh-huh. or. Uh, you know, you know. So uh, two weeks after I got shot, I went out and seen him, and uh, it took off from there. We, he became my mentor, and I never left his side for twenty years. Yeah, and you mentioned that book, Sabu Scars, Silence, and Super Glue. Um, it is an incredible book. That's, that's, it, that's close enough. <laughs> huh? That, that's close enough. It's Silence, Scars, and Super Glue. Yeah. Well, it is. It's a it's a great book. How, and uh, it, we'll mention this again, but how can folks get it? Uh, it's still out there through. I, you can get it on Kindle, or you can get it on what was that, Melissa? How, how, what's my? Uh... Hold on, this is hold on, this is Super Jimmy. Okay. Hey, Sean. How are you? Good. How are yeah, you? Yeah, Sabu's got uh, I am great. I hope you're doing well too. Um, yeah, the, the the best way to get it where you're like personally getting it right from Sabu and me, it's ordered off ecwsabu.com. So ecwsabu.com. Uh, okay. And then you get a signed personalized copy from him. And I I do a lot of his mail. We just moved, so we don't really have a good assistant yet where we are. So uh-huh. <laughs> so we do, uh, I handle his mail for him. But ecwsabu.com, the $35 personalized Coffee is the best one to pick up. Fantastic. Yeah, or, or, or on Kindle if you just want to get it over the internet or whatever. Yeah, Kindle too. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so so getting back to I prefer to order it from Kindle that way. I don't have to mess with it. <laughs> okay. Well, we and and we'll we'll talk about that again before we wrap up our conversation. But I wanted to kind of go through. Uh, you mentioned getting shot. I mean, there's there's a lot to that story right there. But uh, growing up, and were you an athlete? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, me and my brother, I had three brothers and three sisters, and my three brothers are just uh, one year and two years older than me, or two years and three years older than me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, we played baseball, football, whatever season it was, we had uniforms and we played it, you know, every year until, uh, like sixth grade or something, and then we started playing real football, you know. Yeah, so was that your sport? I mean, were you, uh, you like football? Uh, Every, everything was our sports, uh, baseball, football, and, and uh, but not wrestling. Only wrestling was my sport. My brothers didn't like wrestling. But yeah. uh, we, we were all football, football players forever, forever. And in high school, junior high and high school, you know, and, but I was a wrestler. They, they were never a, a wrestler. They, they were beating me up my whole life, but they didn't wrestle me. <laughs> so were you, that, were you uh, points in your life thinking, you know, that I might be able to play some kind of professional sports? Uh, was that? Yeah. I don't know. Everything was to give me to be a wrestler, football, baseball. Really? I took all that, and, and I, I'm not kidding. When I was doing it, 
I was saying, this is going to make you a better wrestler. This is going to make you a better wrestler. So I lift weight to be a better, to be a better wrestler. I eat steak to be a better wrestler. I play baseball to be a better wrestler. Huh. Whatever it took, whatever I did was to hone me to be a wrestler. So you said you had a ring in the backyard, though. Is that, um, you know, something that your brothers yeah, that, and you guys were all into? No, no, the backyard was my uncle's backyard. Okay. He always had a ring. But I never got into it until I was 19. I was never allowed in there. I could look at it and all that and hit the canvas, but I could never, uh, you know, hit the apron with my hands when I was little. But he never let us in the ring. Uh, I couldn't get into it until I was 19. But when I went out to go train, get trained by him, I moved out into his house, and it was seven months until I got in that ring. I had a chaplet and be his slave for seven months and not say, hey, when can I get in the ring? Just, he never said, never ask anything, just do what I say. And for seven months, I didn't see her. I couldn't even get in the ring. I seen the ring. I never got in the ring. Did he want to see how bad you wanted it? Was that uh, yeah. his process? How disciplined. how bad I wanted it and how disciplined I was. Wow. So before we get whatever into I did wrong, Whatever I did wrong, he'd correct me, and I never did it wrong again. Never. Uh, whatever he corrected me on, I did it wrong again. Was he always this mysterious figure growing up? Like you said, he didn't. Didn't talk to you much? You were afraid to talk yeah. to him? Yeah, I, I'd watch him talk to other people when he laughed and joked and all that. Yeah. But I was so young that, uh, you know, he wasn't a, a buddy of mine. He was my uncle uh, and and, and a, a giant man, you know, a star. Yeah. You know, I yeah. seen him on TV. He was giant, so unbelievable. And uh, so I, I was afraid to talk to him, but I, I would always stare at him. He said, I knew you would come out and see me. How would you know that? I go, how would you know that? He goes, you, you stared at me your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And who were some of the other, uh, I mean, I don't know how much you were exposed to as far as other professional territories in Lansing, Michigan, but who were some of the uh, other There was people? none in Michigan. I didn't wrestle, I didn't wrestle in Michigan until probably nine years into my career. Yeah. I, I, I just wrestled into, yeah, I'm not Michigan, Detroit, I'm not Lansing. I didn't wrestle in Lansing until probably nine or ten years into my career. I wrestled in Detroit a lot, but my mother, my mother's never seen me wrestle. Yeah, but I mean, what, on TV. what about growing up though? What did, you, what did you follow when you were when you were growing up? What wrestling did I follow? Yeah, yeah. What were you able to see there? Well, big, big, big time wrestling. That was the only wrestling that I knew of. I didn't even know there was any other wrestling growing up. Uh, only, I only thought big time wrestling was the wrestling that was the companies, yeah. what company. So when your uncle started training. What's that? I said. Uh, so when you when you your uncle started training you, was it pretty much just basic wrestling? It wasn't. He wasn't training. Was he training you to be a you know hardcore or was it? No, you got to learn the basics. Oh, no, 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 no. I didn't have a cage match for five or six years. I didn't have a hardcore match until I went to Japan seven years. Wow. I never had a barbell until seven years. All this stuff. Uh, gr gradually evolved. You never have that stuff. You never say, I'm going to practice for a barbed wire match when you're green. You're going to practice for the first match if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, and, and hardcore stuff, when the, when anybody trains with me, we don't bash each other with chairs. I I'm, I, I hand to hand wrestle them. Then when they're good at that, then I bash them with a chair. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know I, I used to have guys come to my house thinking we're going to do backflips all day. We didn't do one backflip all week. Really? I taught them how to lock up. How to headlock and how to armbar and how to arm drag and all the stuff that everybody thinks is boring, but you got to be good at. Yeah. So before we really get into it, uh, and it obviously had a big impact in your life, how did you get shot? Uh, I, I was at a party for a friend of mine, and these guys from across the street came over and caused some trouble. Yeah. So out of the corner of my eye, I seen this dude pull out two guns. It looked like out of a sock, but it wasn't out of a sock. He was. It just. He pulled them out. He knew, he was low with them and pulled them out. Pulled them out. He had two guns in his hand, and this is how to call my eye. He was shooting my friend in the stomach. Bam, 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 bam. Then he took off running, so I ran after him. And while he's running, he's shooting behind him. But I caught him and threw him down. And during the tumble, he pushed the gun against my face and shot me. Oh, yeah. You know, point. There was no closer than point break you could get. It was right against my face. And uh, shot me, you know, uh, in my cheek, kind of. Uh, and uh, that, that was that. So it was just like a clean in-out wound? You didn't suffer any? It was a clean, dirty in-wound. Uh, I had powder burns all down my throat, pellets down my, in the back of my throat. It, the, when the bullet hit my teeth, 
it shattered and went to my nasal cavity and the back of my throat. So I actually got shot in my throat. And, uh, uh, so, uh, and the part of it killed me when I couldn't breathe for, like I had, I was coughing for weeks. It burned my lungs. The powder burns, the powder burns, the powder flash went down my throat. Mm. Wow. But anyways, I survived <laughs> it and, uh, nothing else was hurt as much. <laughs> no, but, how, but obviously it, it, it uh, I know you were blessed that uh, to have something like that happen. And how did that change your life to, you know, you getting into what you had to do for a living? Well, at the time, you know, I was really wild. I just got out of high school, you know, a year before that. Yeah. And so I was still partying, jamming and stuff. And when I got shot, that's when I uh, stopped partying and jamming and started lifting weights and eating right and training. And then, uh, uh, like I said, two weeks out of the hospital, I went and see my uncle and I, I didn't look back. Wow. So uh, tell me about the, the early years, though, of training. I mean, it sounded like it, it took a while. He wasn't going to let you go out there and, and uh, you know, perform yeah, I, professionally. I trained two years. Wow. I trained two years. I didn't have the first match until I was 21. I, I trained two years. And then uh, uh, and then I wrestled five years, you know, just uh, hand-to-hand wrestling, no high spots. The only high spot I would do would be a drop kick. Wow. You know, wow. it was all boring stuff but anyway the stuff that you have to learn to be a good to be a great wrestler you have to know the stuff you can be a good wrestler without it but if you know that stuff you could be a great wrestler yeah and, and what, I will. what was the what was the territory that i you know because a lot of people don't know about the territories back then that you would you would work in an area well, and then when i started there wasn't really a territory there was spot shows i was my uncle ran a little bit but it was mostly the spot shows in you know Ohio, Indiana, and, and Michigan, and uh, that was in Windsor and, and, and Ontario. It was the spot shows, and uh, my first territory sort of would be uh, you know Dave the Bear Man in Ontario. Every summer I'd go up there and wrestle for two three months, and and uh, you know there was no really territories anymore. This is when Vince was taken over. The right. Territories were dead then. Really, even then, huh? It was, uh, there wasn't, yeah. the independent world was really. Oh, you know, it was terrible. Yeah, that's all there, I didn't know the difference between independent and anything else. I, just, I thought everybody was independent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's killed everything, you know. So what really. But he also, yeah. he killed the territories, but he made more money than ever for the wrestlers. You know, and the wrestlers now are the highest paid ever, you know, ever. I mean, guy didn't make money like that. My uncle didn't make money like that. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, you know it, I guess everybody has a lot to thank him for. At the, but at the time, it was, you know, because I came in, I started working for the WWF in 88. And that was when, you know, the, the world had really changed because they had, you know, WrestleMania won in 85. But those early, you know, early 80s is when it really right. completely changed completely. And, uh, but uh, as we look back, look what it did for the business. I mean, there's a. Uh, you know, yeah, it's unbelievable. Realize that. Uh, what was the? Yeah, I... yeah, go ahead, Simon. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no big deal. Go ahead. What was the? Uh, I don't know if you call it your first big break, but was it when? Uh, was it going to Japan that really changed your your life yeah, as far uh, as professionally? Yeah, yeah. The first five years, I made less than hundred dollars a match. I made you know for lucky twenty five or fifty a match. After five years, I started making $100 a match. So I made $100 a match until, until seven years, so I went to Japan. After I went to Japan, I made a living. Mm-hmm. I didn't, so my break with Japan, I didn't make a living until seven, you know, until I went to Japan, seven years into my career. Wow. Nine years into my training. And Fifteen what, years into my life. And what, what was uh, wrestling like at that time in Japan? Because uh, uh, other people have been guessing it, here. It was, uh, uh, it was just starting to get like uh, uh, Onita's company just, was just starting out to be hardcore. It was different, and it wasn't called hardcore. It was just called uh, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. Where he called it Martial Arts Wrestling because we we'd fight, you know, uh, karate guys in a barbed wire match or something. So it was funny. But the, some of the guys they couldn't work, you know. But anyways, anyways, uh, the wrestling in Japan, you know, the, there was Baba and Inoki, their companies, and that was like that. that that was the top dollar ones, and, and then the lesser companies was FMW, IWA, and a few other ones, uh, and Wing. But and so I went to FMW where they say no one made money, but we I made money. They paid my uncle very good, and they paid me pretty good. Uh-huh. And uh, 
you know, uh, that changed when I came over. I changed the pale scale, pale, pay, the pay scale, the pay, uh-huh. scale, pay scale. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. pay scale for independent guys. So they had up everybody else's money. And why was that? I mean, because you were uh, well, that good. They, they were, no, no, well, no, not in the beginning. Yes, I mean, I got the, a, a decent payoff before I got to Japan because because of my uncle. Then I got more because I was that good. And I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that I was that good, but I'm just saying what you said. Uh, they paid me more because they liked me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and was it as uh, crazy over there as far as? Um, I mean, those matches were basically shoot matches. A lot of them, right? That they uh, you really yeah, had to. Yeah. yeah, they were half shoots. You know, of course, the finishes the work, but uh, there were half shoots where there was very stuff with chair shots and everything was because they weren't they weren't good at. The, the guys he would use, the green guys and the American guys he would use, they weren't very good, but they could bash the shit out of each other. Like Mike Austin, in the beginning, he wasn't very good, and Horace Motor, they weren't very good, yeah. but they could bash the shit out of each other. But that is not bitch about it. Yeah, but that's what they expected, too, right? When you went in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we, did you ever really get hurt doing those matches because of. Uh, not only what they expected, but like you said, some of these guys weren't as uh, talented and as skilled at doing, you know, these matches. Yeah, you know, you, you get a concussion almost every night, or, or every, every other couple of nights you get you get knocked out, or stitches in the back of your in, stitches in the back of your head because we cut our heads every night, but uh, the chairs most of the back of the back of our heads open on, you know, and. Uh, just about uh, every other chair shot there, so stuff. Even if you blocked them, they they fling the chair. And Japanese chairs were so heavy, and they fling them so hard that uh, even if you blocked them, they'd knock the shit out of you. <laughs> so, is this at this point where you started to uh, embrace hardcore more, learn more techniques? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I was I was taking what they're doing to an athletic level. Like every like I could hit you with a chair, but I'd throw it to make it look better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or I could could sit in the chair, but I'd jump off to make them look better. So whatever they did, I wasn't trying to degrade what they did. I was just trying to do, make my own style. I wasn't trying to say in my head, my own style. I'm just going to do it. I was saying, thinking it was my way. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, he said, hit him with a chair, I'm going to throw it. He said, do that, I'll jump off it. Or he does that, I'll flip. Or, or you know, something like that. If they go, can you do a run-in? Yeah. So I would do a different kind of run-in. I'd run, jump off the chair, apron, get in the ring, something like that, you know. Now, now I can't do it. There's camera people in the way and fans. I can't do it. But anyways, anything they wanted me to do, anything they did, I just changed it into a, a athletic movement. Were you all? Were you always where, that? Where, uh, where hardcore, hardcore wasn't just punching and kicking each other. It, it was uh, poetic. Yeah. No, like I said, there was. It's an art. I mean, to be able to do those moves, and I don't know. Were you always that? Uh, athletic? Did you have that, uh, you know, that that type of yeah. skill as a when you were younger? Yeah, you know, not not wrestling athletic, but yeah, you know, Matt, you know, everything I did, you know, played football and all that. I, I pretty much stood out. I didn't excel at anything because, like I said, it was all practice to be a wrestler. I didn't, I didn't take anything that serious. And when they say, "Hey, you know, you're an all star game," I go, "Oh yeah, but I'm busy." <laughs> you know, that was a day off. You know, yeah. and, but uh. And I wasn't that good, but but I but it didn't matter to me how good I was. It was all the hone needs to be better later. Yeah, but I mean, but Sabu, you look at it, and you know, and I've uh, watched a, a bunch of these old matches with you, and uh, if you if you really look at it for what you're doing, and it's it's for somebody looking at it, it's just like this mass chaos, but it's not. And there's like you know, like gymnastic moves, and there's almost like you're uh, like a diver in some that everything has to be exact. And I, I just couldn't help but wonder, like, how did you work that out? Because you have to have somebody else who's able to do that with you to pull it off. So, uh, well, well it, it, it was it was a little it was first done in Japan. You know, of course the Japanese would would do anything I wanted, and after I figured out what I was doing because I was making it up as I was going along, <laughs> after I figured out what I was doing next time, uh, the guys were easy to do. Now in the states, they were stubborn. So I'd be doing moonsaults to the to the floor, and they'd move. The only one 
that would stand there would be Terry Funk. Anything I said, I said, catch me. He goes, what? I'd do for a flip on him. He'd catch me. <laughs> then he goes, catch me. Then he'd be kind of, he didn't do a flip, but he'd do a dive, his, his type of dive on me, and I'd catch him. And then when people started seeing him doing that, they started saying, hey, well, I could take that. <laughs> but you I remember uh, when, I, when I used to put a guy through the table in, in, in the very beginning in the States, I'd pay him an extra $100 if he would sell it to the hotel and tell people that it was stiff because they, after I put them to a table, they go, hey, that wasn't nothing. I go, yeah, but don't tell anybody. You know, otherwise, everybody will do it. Yeah, then it, everybody started doing it. And it sure looked like it. And how did you bring that in? What? Where did the uh, – because nobody mastered that better, better than you. Well, but... like I said, in Japan, they were doing power drivers to the table. So I took it to another level by doing a moonsault to the table. Yeah. One day, Malcolm – uh, we did a match, and uh, one day Marco said, get back in the ring and get your heat. I go, what do you want me to do? He goes, I don't think of something. I go, well, how about I moonsault a table? He goes, what's that? I go, I'll show you. I threw a table in the ring, and I moonsault, a table, I moonsault to the table, and boom, the people went nuts. So the next night, I put a guy on the table, and they went nuts there, and then uh, it went off from there. Wow. I'm telling you, you look you look back at that stuff, and now it's just it's commonplace. You know, they do it uh, all yeah, the time. Yeah, with a headlock. But back then, yeah. But back then, uh, you must have brought the house down when you started. When that was something that you you did, was it? Uh, you know, was that the reaction when you when you brought it to the states? Yeah, yeah. The, when I brought it to the states, like I, you know, the first time I I did the stuff was in Philadelphia, and those fans knew who I was already. You know, because mm-hmm. they they had the seats. So those those fans, hardcore fan. Isn't a fan that knows everything. A hardcore fan is a fan that will go watch any wrestling. And at the time, Philadelphia was the shit. They had big names, but the, the matches were really bad. Yeah. And the TV was really bad. That you know, hardcore to me was the bad TV and the bad matches. You know, these guys weren't very good, but the people still wanted to see them because they'll, they'll watch anybody. Yeah. So when I came in and did my stuff, they go, wow, we're not watching just anybody. We're watching somebody special. Uh, yeah. Uh, and... Uh... <laughs> Month after that, probably bring in somebody special, you know. Did you feel you had to keep raising the bar? Uh, yes and no. I, I didn't raise the bar because I was the bar, so I just kept trying to impress myself. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> you know. But then you have. But the now, what, what comes with I that just, though? Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said, but what? Comes, I, I was just to, go, I'm sorry again. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that what comes with that is that you know, people want to do it as well, so they're kind of chasing you. I mean, is that the way you felt? Because then you would have to, okay, everybody's doing it. Everybody's bringing yeah, the table yeah. up. Yeah, I, I was very mad in the beginning when other people broke tables because they, they they would do it, probably would have other guys, uh, public enemy break a table when I wasn't there. And I go, hey, did anybody break a table? He goes, no. And I go, well, I've seen the TV from last week. Okay, someone broke a table. He goes, well, we didn't emphasize it. I said, you just fucking nobody broke a table. They just said, nobody's seen it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, and then, so uh, I, I didn't mind so much because they did it badly. They didn't do it like I did it. Uh-huh. You know, I did a couple of freezes. I did a thing. Uh, and then boom, you know, and they would just go boom, you know. And they got a great reaction because the people just wanted to see anything. Like I said, hardcore fans are happy to see anything. But some of these things you came up with, and, and I don't know the truth to the legend of this, but of course that story is out there about that uh, the match with the Sheik in '92, uh, with the uh, ropes that were uh, with barbed wire, and they, they had gas-soaked rags on them or something. Was that? Yeah. What is the truth to that uh, legend? Well, it, it happened, but it wasn't very good. Uh, the uh, the Gretchen is gonna have a fire match. I said, "Oh, what's that?" They go, "You'll see." And then they showed me a diagram of it, and, and it was eight foot two by fours wrapped in bed sheets, soaked in kerosene for like a week. And they had two on the top, one in the middle, and two on the bottom. So there's five on each side. That was the diagram. At the last minute, I go, "Don't put the bottom ones on because how are we gonna get out?" They go, "Jump over." I go, "No, I'm also gonna jump over." So don't put the bottom ones on. They go, "Okay, we won't put the bottom ones on on one side." So they didn't put the bottom ones on on one side. So uh, the fire, so they, they, then they go, after about 10 to 15 minutes, wait for the fire to go down and then do a high spot. I said, okay, we get in the match. Two minutes in the match, we're all crowded in the middle saying it's too hot. <laughs> and about, we only went about six minutes, I think. And then, so I ran and jumped out of the, the, the ring first, 
and grabbed the bucket and threw it behind me because I figured my uncle was behind me. But he went out the other side where he did get through it and it burned his shit out of his back. Really? Like he was in the hospital, he was in the hospital a couple of weeks and he oh sold it God. for about six months. Yeah, well, not all of them work, right? Jeez. <laughs> like, right. And they couldn't, put it, they couldn't put it out and the, the ring burned till like morning till the next day. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, most remember you from ECW, in e, uh, and it, it, that is where uh, much of the legend about you derives. Um, what was it? What was the ECW at the time when you arrived there? And I think it was in '93. I hope I'm correct there. But uh, it was in '93. Yes, yeah. I think so. Yes, uh, it was just uh, a bunch of guys that weren't that good, you know, like. Not nothing against him, man, but he, he, he knows he's not that good a technical wrestler, but he tried to be one. He was a he was a surfer with, with white stuff on his nose. Sandman was supposed to be Sandman the surfer, not Sandman the nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> when I got there I go, Man, these guys are terrible. So I go, I'm just gonna do my regular match. So I did a, a you know, my regular match with Taz and and uh but which was extreme to anybody else and they went nuts. I, like Taz was the right opponent for me and uh because he wrestled real hard. And stiff, he, he like he wanted to prove something to me because he thought I was stiff, but I just look stiff. I'm not stiff. If anybody when they wrestle me, they go, "Wow, like uh, you're a lot smoother than I thought." I go, "Yeah, you're supposed to look rough." Yeah, that's right. good. The game is to look rough. Yeah, I mean, you had to people, you had to pay people to to tell them that you were just <laughs> with the tables. <laughs> yeah, right? I had to pay them to tell them yeah, <laughs> that you were stiff. Um, was it was it this? Uh, a collection of, uh, I don't know, I mean, I guess they like to think of themselves as rebel, but it was kind of rebels, they were kind of the anti-WWF, uh, I guess, at the time. Uh, did you guys kind of look at it that way, that you were just doing what you wanted to do and didn't want anybody telling you how to do it? Yeah, um, like, uh, after I came in and got over it, like, it changed slowly into extreme. That wasn't the, the vision. The vision... And Paul took over the same day I came in, so he let the guys do pretty much what they wanted to do, and and that's you know that's great. Except for sometimes you can't let guys do what they want to do if they're not good at it. But the people appreciated, so they, they they would do what they did, and they weren't good at it, but they were killing each other. So it got over, and then then eventually we'll call it hardcore. Yeah. You know, we never know what hardcore was at the time. They just thought it was brawling. But to you, was it always? Um, I guess in a sense, art. I mean, you always were, you know, b- prepared to make sure that no one got hurt, and and whatever you did, to whatever your high spot was going to be, you prepared for it, and wanted that person yeah. who's going to do it with you. Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff would be stay or move, and so the guys would move, yeah. you know. So, but I still the the move in or the flip in or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, you know the. I forgot what the question is. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, the way, if you were watching it back then, and it was just, people thought it was just chaos. That the, you know, nobody really, you know, they just did these crazy things. But I know, I've heard you talk before that it, it wasn't that way with you. You made sure that you were prepared, knew what you were doing, knew what that other person was going to be in that ring was you, was going to be protected. Uh, I mean, was that always yeah, well, a philosophy? Yeah, I, I I ever did a, a, a crazy move that I haven't already did in practice probably 20 times or more. Yeah. You know, everything I did, I did in practice. I had a ring to practice, and uh, my goes, you can't do that in some way. I go, okay, well, why not? He goes, It'll, it's too stiff. I go, you're right. So I'd make whatever I did on stiff, only stiff to myself. So I took most of the pounding. I took all the pounding. I took 95% of the pounding more than my opponent. Yeah. And how much of a toll did it but, take you know, on, on your body? And, What's that? I said, how much of a toll did it take on your body, even early on? Yeah, early on it didn't bother me, you know. Really? Not now about me, but it didn't bother me. That's why I'm so fucked up now is because I didn't get surgeries when I should have because I could overcome it with pain pills or just stubbornness because I didn't want to take any time off. I never took any time off. The only time I took time off was when I caught an infection. And I had to take a whole year off. I couldn't. I couldn't walk for a few months. But anyways, uh, mm. that's the only time I ever took any time off. I, I never intentionally said hey, I'm going to take some time off. It's just there'd be spells where I didn't work for a couple of weeks, but I never took time off. Even now, I work almost every week. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know how uh, you keep doing it. It's and, uh... and, 
And if the price is right and the people are there, I'll bust my ass. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I'd bust my ass anyway, but really bust my ass if the people are there. Yeah. So uh, tell me more below about the ECW and what that atmosphere was like, uh, and some of the people that were there with you that you saw coming up and who became big stars, too. Well, ECW was electric to me. Whenever I come out, you could feel the cheering. Before I'd go out, you could, like, they chat my name all through the show. You could feel them. They vibrated the building. That was awesome. And then, you know, uh, what else was the question? How <laughs> well, smoke is breathe. Yeah, but, um, I was, but what was it about the ECW that was so different than these, you know, the other groups? Because it, it oh, was... Oh, oh, because because no one censored us. We didn't have no censor. Paul Lee was our age. He was in the same hip crowd as MTV. Yeah. You know, and it was MTV age. Uh, and uh, we got to do what we wanted, and there was no censor. I got to do what I wanted. That's how I got to be so, uh, not poetic, but uh, got to tell my story my way. And Paul Lee let me do it that way. So did Japan. They let me do whatever I wanted also, yeah. within reason. Paul yeah. let me do anything I wanted without reason. I could do anything I wanted. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's why people appreciated it. Uh, yeah, that's why I give Paul credit for that. You know, that's how you you find out who. If you want an artist to be an artist, you let him be an artist. You don't tell him what to do. You let him be an artist. Yeah. Well, and it seems that that element is missing. I think uh, somewhat from from today's product. I don't know what your your feeling is on it, but I think that anytime yeah, you're trying that, to tell people how to perform, it's not a good idea. But now they have a blueprint. There was no blueprint. The blueprint you make up, you go along, you, you, you make the blueprint as you go along. Now there's a blueprint where you, here's the promo station, here, here's the, the, the tumbling station, here, here's the top rope station. Like they all go through these, these steps that weren't there before, you know? You know, they're, they're, everybody's taught different and they're taught to be like actors, you know? Got to get your character down in this. Before they have a match, no, you don't. You got to learn how to headlock before you get your character down. Yeah. Well, and I know I don't. I don't think it was too far from this. Uh, like like a year later, I mean, I think the WWF came calling. Um, but was there a loyalty to ECW, or did you like the freedom? What was it that uh, I think you basically turned them down, didn't you? Oh, yeah, that was in 94. Yeah, yeah it was loyalty to uh, Paul. Paul, Paul Heyman. It wasn't even loyalty to ECW, it was loyalty to Paul, because Paul, he got me. Well, he goes, uh, he, he goes, I got to tell you something before you match. I go, what? He goes, do something amazing. Yeah. I go, oh, okay, I'll do something. <laughs> That's the only advice he'd give me. So for him to say that, that was the most, that was great. You know, he, was, he, knows, I, he knows I was going to do something amazing, you know. So did you fear that being, yeah, you know, being with the WWF, they would stifle that? They would try and control you? Um, uh, yeah, when I talked to Vince, he, he said, you know, they wanted to, to tone my style down and modify my look and have the Iron Sheik as my uncle. And I go, no way I can do that. Oh, you wow. know, the yeah. Sheik thing wasn't a deal breaker. The, the change my look was a deal breaker. Modify my look was a deal breaker. But when he carried on, he said, the Iron Sheik was my uncle. I said, no. Like, I, I giggled when he said that. I said, no way. And, and like, he was dead serious. I thought he was joking. But anyways, uh, later on, I see a character came out that's called the Sultan. And the Iron Sheik was his mentor, uh, uncle. But um, he, they, they offered me good money. And uh, and I go, no. And, and, and Vince goes, how can you turn me down, turn us down for a company that might not even be there tomorrow? I said, I don't know, because uh, maybe it will be here tomorrow. And then he goes, well, you, when you're ready, come back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I come back, it wasn't as quite as friendly. But <laughs> Yeah. So what what was it about the ECW, though, that what was its demise? Was it just mismanaged? Because it, it, it always had a popular product. Well, that's what I'd also add to that. It would have broke my uncle's heart if I would have took on the Iron Sheik as my uncle. Yeah. Even if it was a work, it would have broke his heart. But anyway, I'm sorry. What was that? What was the question? I'd say that you 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 did have this loyalty to Heyman or the ECW, and it and it did have a a, a very a popular product. It was a it was a great alternative to what they were putting out. But what was its demise? Was it just badly managed? Uh, we were getting too too, too small for our bitches. 
Like, uh, we had all these big shows all around the country, and we couldn't yeah. fill the fucking arenas. Yeah. You know, the only time we do good is during a pay-per-view. And and, and that, that was only in the arenas we did good. Our buy rates were terrible, you know, because it would have been good by now, maybe. You know, but uh, the, the demise was, uh, we were trying to, we, were, we, got, we got too small for our britches. Uh, our name was bigger than we were, you know? Yeah. Well, and, it, and we, but we had the money to, to show it, you know? Yeah. Now, when, when you would uh, eventually uh, show up in the WWF, um, but you never you never spoke really before that time. Why not? Because you could obviously you could cut a promo. So what what was it? Just no, the... I I can't cut a promo uh, unless uh, they just say uh, slap me in the mouth and I go hey mother you know something like that yeah. because I I can't read a lot. They gave me lines uh, like uh, a script. And there were words I would never say in a million years. And I go, I would never say these words. I go, but you're going to now. I go, no, I can't. And so, like, uh, uh, I can't. I, when I was a kid, me and my mom was watching wrestling. And we seen somebody come on the TV and go, Mara. and in five minutes we see somebody else do the same, almost same thing, different words, different guy, but the almost same thing. Mara. And she goes, promise me. When you when you grow up, you'll never do that. I go, Mom, I'll never say a word. And then this was like when I was ten or twelve years old. And, and then when I got to be a wrestler, now I, I don't talk because I, I I don't talk because I'm shy. But and also, I told my mother I never would. Really? <laughs> yeah. She goes, tell me you'd never embarrass me like that. Well, I'll never say a word. <laughs> but if somebody didn't hand you lines, like say say this, could you do it? I mean, just top of mind, you know, because uh, you knew that character. It, not a Sabu, I, I don't think I could. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, like, if I was acting in another role, sort of, or something, I don't know. Yeah, I probably could, you know, if the price is right. But, you know, they don't want to pay me extra for it, so I, why would I want to do it now? I even said to Vince that you're not paying me enough to do this stuff. Yeah. And he just raised an eyebrow. He didn't say nothing. <laughs> He was, he's been, I thought he was going to say, well, how much do you want? <laughs> then, yeah. then, I, then we're talking. So. <laughs> but they wanted me to do extra work and destroy my character, by, my, go against my best, my best judgment and make me talk. My best judgment was saying, I'm going to hurt myself if I talk. And I, I was right. You know, people, man, I heard you talk. I, now I know you're human. Yeah. You know, before that, I didn't want the people who didn't know me know that I wasn't uh, a monster. Yeah. So do you feel, I mean, it seems to me you always said you were always pretty straight shooter as far as talking to tell. Uh, do you think that that held you back with a company like the WWF because oh, there, sure you couldn't did. be any other way? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it did. But I thought I could get them to see my way. Yeah. When I go, uh, I can't talk. Get me someone to talk for me. They go, Umaga already has that gimmick. I said I was doing before Umaga was born. But that's okay. You know, I said, what the fuck? You know, but uh, when I, yes, it held me back. Sure it did. Part of the, the gimmicks of wrestling now, category, all the things they look at is promos, this, that, that, thing. Before, when I was coming up, they go, he can't talk. Okay, don't have him talk. We're going to give him where he doesn't talk. Yeah. You know, or we're going to a, a guy where someone talks for him. They didn't make him talk if he couldn't talk. So now they make you talk. They go against my best judgment. So uh, I, I was very, uh, it, it, it didn't say I, it was against my best judgment, and they weren't paying me enough. Yeah, if they would have shot me with money, I would have got over that best judgment shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that 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 always works, right? Um, what was it though that that you finally said I, I that you'd had enough with ECW after all that loyalty and uh, you know commitment to that to that group? What was it that finally did it? Did it in '95? Brother, I went six or eight months with pay-per-view checks bouncing. I went two months with no pay oh. with a bank account in England. I didn't realize it until about six weeks. I go, man, none of these checks are going through. Mm. I have no money in the bank. So, so eight weeks into it, I got a secret meeting with Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon, and they offered me money, more money than I could count. And uh, before I got home, before I signed the contract, I called my mother to tell her about it. And she had a heart attack on the phone before I could tell her. 
because uh, uh, something went down at home and she panicked and had a heart attack, so I didn't tell her. Uh. So I didn't sign the autograph. I didn't sign the, the contract, and I flew home. And uh, she was in intensive care. So I called Kevin Sullivan and said, hey, I'm going to fax over the contract now, uh, signed. Uh, okay? And he goes, no, too late. We're already being sued by, by Bob Paul Haven. And all it was was a threat of a suit, was a method to drop, drop it. And I would have been, I would have been still rich right now if they would have came through with it. Oh man! So what? In the meantime, so you instead of going to WCW, you went to New Japan. Yeah. Well, no, I went everywhere else. Is everywhere, you know, everywhere else. But I went to all Japan actually. I went everywhere else, and I still made money. I didn't make the money I was going to make in WCW. They were out of business a year later. You know, $60 million that year. It could have been $61 million. What's wrong with that? You That's know? right. You could have had one of them. <laughs> yeah. And they, they were wanting me to the top spot to run with it. They yes. were going to give me the big choice because he was. And even had someone talk to me. Somebody of my choice talked for me. Oh, uh, yeah. Back in my big, big time. Yeah. And then the, I just was, I was, I was blowing my load in my pants. So I, I said, I have to go sign this. I have to go read this in my room. And Kevin goes, read it, just sign it. I said, just give me a few minutes. And uh-huh. so I went to my room and disappeared. They go, what the fuck? Oh, wow. <laughs> but Paul, you know, I thought I'd just die or something. Did you ever <laughs> remind Paul of that, that he cost you a lot of money? <laughs> no, he knows he did. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. And the thing was, I was just going to go to WCW for a year or two and then come <clears throat> Come back to ECW, a bigger name, but uh, oh, hopefully that was that was my plan. I had no I had no real ill intentions against ECW. I just said I wanted to get paid. Uh, I was too old to take promises. Yeah, well, you've been in the business too long. Back. Yeah. So when you did when you did uh, appear with the WCW, was that just a uh, I don't know what kind of a contract did you have with them? Well, when I did, that was way before that. That was years before that. Uh, I did a, a little run where, uh, um, let me think here, uh, they are, the, Kevin Sullivan goes, for the first uh, Monday Nitro, he goes, how much would it cost to get you in on our first Monday Nitro? He goes, it's against Vince, it's a big deal, and the guy I picked to be number one yeah. over everybody. And I go, I can't do it, i got to be in Japan. He goes, how much for the second one? I said, you don't have to pay anything, Kevin, just put me over. He goes, we got to pay you something. And I said, okay, 500 bucks, which was, a, I should never said that. He goes, okay, you got it. So I wrestled, they liked me, and then they offered me a contract that was for 500 bucks, 500 bucks a night. Uh-huh. And they go, for one pay-per-view on Monday a month, you only work twice a month. You can't work for nobody else. No no indies, no, no, no TV, no nothing. And I go, for $1,000 a month, they go, yeah, that's what you wanted. Five hundred of ass. You got what you wanted. I go, no. That's what I said. to look at me. Not they would negotiate. I mean, how stupid is that? And they didn't offer me no more. They said, "We'll take it or leave it." That's what later. Well, then later on, they called me again, and then uh, that's when I talked to Kevin, and then that was different. You know, and uh, uh, Bischoff wasn't in charge no more, and then Kevin and JJ was. You know, and anyways, that was that. They, they offered me a five hundred match. And they thought that that was okay. That that, that was gonna and didn't offer me no more. That was that was take it or leave it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that people yeah. don't realize. That I mean, the timing. Uh, it just seemed like uh, it was it was off several times for you. Where you should have. I mean, you talked to other other wrestlers. I mean, you were as big as as uh, the biggest stars around then. And that to think that that's how things laid out. Whether you know. Uh, you're going to get a, a big contract, and then something else happens, and then somebody else is threatening to sue, and they back off. Uh, did it seem kind of like that's just the way it seemed to go for you? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it, it, it's, I'm not meant to, to, to hit the big one. So. <laughs> I wanna, of, you know, I'm just not that, obviously. I'm meant to struggle, I guess. Yeah. When, uh, I was a... Go ahead. No, I just said I, I almost hit the big one, but I didn't quite get there. Are you talking with WCW, that one? Talking everywhere. You know, you know <laughs> if I wouldn't have quit WCW, maybe it wouldn't have went out of business, and that would have been the big one. If I would have signed that contract into the trying to call my mom, maybe that would have been the big one. Yeah. Or if I would have went to the events with the ECW and shit, maybe that could have been the big one. But none of them was, but they almost was. Yeah, well, and, and uh, when 
you know, WWF acquired, or WWE, I should say, acquired ECW, and uh, you were part of that in, what, 97? Uh, what, did you think, that, okay, yeah. maybe this is this is it? This is, the, I'm going to be part of this and, you know, come in and... Yeah, and it, and it was it. It was it for Paul Lee. Paul Lee signed, had a secret deal just for him and Vince, and didn't give a fuck about us. Yeah. So, I mean, he had a deal and getting paid, and we're starving. He goes, I can't even buy a pair of socks. I said, yes, you can. Your mom and dad are rich. He goes, I can't buy a pair of socks with my own money. I said, well, that's not your choice. <laughs> because your mom and dad was you. You don't have to buy a pair of socks. They'll buy it. So, so, yeah, you only bought a pair of socks. I believe it. Your mom buys them. <laughs> <laughs> I buy my socks. I buy socks for my mom. You know, <laughs> she don't buy them for me. I buy them for her. So but what was that experience like with, with when you were there, uh, when they were doing, when they were using... You know the ECW. Uh, it was great. Uh, the the second time around, because I, I did, Vince knew me from before, right. and he shook my hand like a uh, about shook my arm off my off my my shoulder, I, and I had a bad neck, so I went I sold it, and uh, he laughed. He thought I was kidding, and I go I was like this guy's an idiot. Uh, no, not an idiot. I didn't say that. I just guy's a retard. <laughs> yeah. He's not no idiot. He's he retarded. He's really goofy a little bit. But anyways, it, it was cool. He 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 acted like he liked us and all that stuff, but we had absolutely no. No positive ratings, or no more ratings that they, that they didn't already have. They didn't go up. They weren't impressed with that. Yeah. You know, but that's not my choice. It's because I don't know why. It's not my choice anyway. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, that was. Uh, you know, I, I didn't question anything. I, was, I never questioned shit. I just say, hey, "What's next?" <laughs> yeah. Well, when you know, that. Fix it and yeah. When you. When you. Uh, you know, it never seemed like they really knew what to do with it. And, and it was, I mean, they had, you know, some really talented uh, individuals that, that were a part of that. It just didn't seem like they ever really knew what to do with it when they had it. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, in Detroit, they had me wrestle there, and, and Vince will go, will someone do a job? I go, no. Like, why would I want to do a job? I thought you might be. He goes, well, you know, just to see how vulnerable you are, or how workable you are, you know, cooperative you are. And he didn't say that to me directly, he said it to Paul. And, and, uh, and Paul goes, no, you can't beat him, you know, he's our biggest name. So he wanted me to do a job just to see how cooperative I would be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're invading there, and I'm like the, the top guy, sort of, or to it, and uh, he wanted to beat us, you know. And that was still in the time, time where you can't come in and beat the WWF. You know, the, you don't have to go around all the matches. So we had to bring our own guys in and, and wrestle them. Uh, I wrestled Scorpio, but he was considered one of our guys. And and uh, Taz wrestled Mikey Ripleck. We had to wrestle our own guys. We couldn't wrestle their guys because we'd have to lose to them, which would be why would we, we're not going to invade it and then get our shit kicked out of us. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Sabu, it's, it, you know, I wish you would have become, uh, those contracts would have come your way because you, you, Certainly paid your dues, and man, did you entertain people. Um, Sabu, you, you, you really, uh, I, I tell you, I watched several matches. I went back uh, leading up to our, our conversation, and uh, I have to tell you, man, I, it's it's just incredible what you uh, have done in the ring. Uh, you know, it's you were so far ahead of your time on a lot of these, and now you see a lot of these kids today uh, emulating it. But uh, I don't know if you... you you think of it that way that you did, uh, you know, blaze a trail in professional wrestling that's being uh, honored today. Yeah, you know, uh, when I when I see someone break a table and and I like it, I go, yeah, right on. I wasn't for me; they would be breaking chairs. But now, but usually, I watch people break tables and I go, man, that's terrible. I like it because I'm glad they did it terribly because mine's better. <laughs> so if someone does one as good as mine or better, I, I appreciate that too. You know. But do you see? Well, what, you know, but do you, when you look at what they're doing today, does it some of it frighten you because uh, the way they're pushing it? You got guys coming off balconies, and does any of that? The thing is, see, I, I always said it, it, jumping off a balcony is too far from wrestling. It's too far from the ring. Yeah. You, uh, jumping off the back of a truck or the building, you can't do that in wrestling because it's it's not by the ring. Yeah. So, so I broke a table because it was ringside furniture. Yeah. I threw a chair because the chair is all around the arena. Yeah. I hit him with a bell because the bell was next to the table, on the table. I, I, I didn't I didn't originally pull a table out under the ring. I hated that. 
I only used the table because it was the ringside mm-hmm. timekeeper and an own table. I used it because it was there. I didn't use it because I go, hey, I, I don't use a table. If I was going to think of something, I'd hit him with a goddamn hammer. I don't yeah. use a table. Right. But I'm not using a table because that was there, you know? Right. But does what some of they're doing, the, the dangerous part of it, does it does it concern you at all? Yeah, or? yeah. No, it don't concern me. Uh, someone will get killed, and it won't be my fault. Because yeah. I didn't jump off the building. Right. Like, even like um, uh, Shane McMahon's doing, he's killing it. Yeah. Killing the business by jumping off the sky, you know, jumping out of the sky into a big crash pad or whatever he's doing. You know, the... That's too far from the realm of wrestling. Mm-hmm. If a guy was going to climb up that thing and jump on me, for sure I had time to move. If I was knocked out and woke up an hour later, I had time to move. Yeah. Yeah, it's... You know, that's too far from the realm of wrestling. So, uh, no, that don't impress me. Uh, so, if he kills himself, I say, ha-ha. But if, he, if I see a guy kill himself in the ring, I go, oh, man, poor dude. What a hero, all that. If I see someone jump off a skyscraper or a building, whatever, and they break, the, break their ass, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. Like, uh... Combat zone, they do a thing off the back of a building with a truck full of light bulbs. After they start the match in the ring, they wrestle in the ring and end up on the roof of the building jumping in a truck full of light bulbs. How, how convenient. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and how far, how far from the realm of wrestling can you get? Yeah. And, um, and, and what do you think about what's going on now with you know AEW and NXT? And is this, is this all good for the business? What do you think of all this now? NXT. What's NXT? Well, the WWE, and now you've got AEW oh, with Cody. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, uh, I think that it's great that uh, A and E is starting up, but I think as good as WWE. Hell no, but you know, but, but people think so. Yeah. They'll find out, I guess. Awesome. But, yeah. uh, but I'm, I, they're, they're offering you know a lot of top dollar, and uh, so that's great that we have someone else offering top dollar besides Vince. Yeah, and it's getting it's 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 creating more opportunities for a lot of these guys uh, too. Yeah. So you know, yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Most definitely, I'm glad they're taking they're, they're doing what they're doing. But they're saying, like I watched the show and they're they saying we got the best wrestlers in the world. <laughs> no, they don't. But that's okay. That if they can fool the people, good. But they don't have the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. You know, part of being a good wrestler is an over. You know, not just good uh, technically. But anyways, I'm glad what they're doing. What they're doing. You know, sweet. Yeah. It's just helping professional wrestling. All right, folks, so uh, don't miss your chance to get uh, Sabu's book, Scars, Silence, and Super Glue. And you can go to uh, the website, ecwsabu.com, and you can get a signed copy through that. Or as uh, Sabu mentioned, you can get it on Kindle. You don't even you can do it right online. So that, that, that works as well, right? Yes, that, I, I prefer it because I don't have to send it to you, but if you want it autographed, yeah. you'd have to get it from me uh, on the website. All right. Well, uh, I know you're still out there performing. I hope I run into you down the road sometime, but Sabu, I'm so glad that we finally caught up with each other, and thanks for coming on Primetime. Right on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. I mean, uh, are you kidding me? I mean, Sabu, what a what an incredible story. That guy... Uh, took a beating over the course of his career and, uh, you know, certainly well-known in professional wrestling, but never got that payday. Uh, you know, he had his opportunities, and like he said, he just had to be himself. He couldn't play the game, and it definitely cost him, no question. I, you know, I did a lot of research for this podcast. I went back and looked at a, a bunch of his matches, and, man, some of the high spots he performed back then was amazing. Uh, the stuff he did with tables and the bumps that he took. But, uh, you know, uh, it is a little, it's a little frightening to see what people are doing. But, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of them look back and see uh, the road he was traveling. And they, uh, they're taking it further these days. But uh, Sabu has a brand-new Twitter account that he wants everybody to know about. He wants you to follow him. And it is at... Sabu 3, uh, that's at S-A-B-U-U-U-U, that's four U's and the number three, okay? And there's a few out there, there's other people that have the Sabu, but but you want the one at Sabu 3, four U's, S-A-B-U-U-U-U-3. Sabu, what, what a great story, and I really want to thank him for coming on. Uh, also, I want to remind everybody, check out Patreon. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. We're having a lot of fun on there. We keep putting up all kinds of new content. 
And uh, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. That's patreon.com slash primetimemooney. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, please follow us on social media. That is at primetimemooney for both Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you want to email me directly, I check that uh, email account every day. Uh, just email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. And remember, now every Monday we have our new uh uh, watch-alongs that we do from the uh, from the network, you know the network I'm talking about. Uh, we're calling them Network Classics, PTSM. Well, we just did one with Saturday Night's Main Event. What will we do for next Monday's edition? Well, it will be dropped at 6 a.m. on Monday. I hope you will check it out. Also, the vault episodes we have, we pull those out of the vault every Saturday. A lot happening here on uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney, and another great original episode will be here, right here, uh, next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Woo! A lot happening, and I'm glad you're all a part of it. Until then, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.